Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. This is week 11 in the study of the book of Hebrews. We find ourselves in chapter 4. And so let's read from verse 9, from verse 11, I mean. The writer has been exhorting us to enter into the rest of God. And it says, therefore, let us therefore make every effort to enter into that rest so that no one will fall by following their example of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all of creation is hidden from God's sight. Wow, that's a scary thought, isn't it? Nothing. But this is really an awesome passage, but you really don't get the full impact of it unless you understand the imagery that's being used. Because when he speaks of a double-edged sword judging you, that takes me right back to the Garden of Eden, Gani Din, where the sword makes a judgment. And it's the first occurrence of the word sword in Scripture. It says in chapter 3, verse 24, it says, After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. So this is what the entrance to the Garden of Eden, Gani Din, looks like. And this sword decides who's going to pass through into the garden and who's not. It decides who's allowed entry and who's not. The sword is ever diligent as well, flashing back and forth, cutting, protecting. And this is the way back to the tree of life, the way to the kingdom of heaven, the, the Sabbath rest of God he's been talking about. The fact is the rabbis called the world to come Ghani Din. It's the same imagery we see in the Ark of the Covenant with its two cherubim. And we're told that God dwelled between the cherubim and he's described as a beam of light. That's a picture of the entrance to paradise, to Ghani Din, the kingdom of heaven, which again is the Sabbath rest of God. And so here, the writer is telling us, make every effort, study hard, seek God, obey God, obey his word. Because the word is like the sword that guards Ghani Din, the paradise of God. The sword will do one of two things. And we'll get to that in a little while. But I want to read from Midrash Rabbah to get the flavor of what the rabbis thought this all meant. And it says, and the flaming sword. The flaming sword refers to Gehenna, so designated in accordance with and that day that cometh shall set them aflame. That turns every way because Gehenna revolves around a man and burns him up from head to foot. Arhuna said in our Abba's name, the sword refers to circumcision. As it is written, make thee knives of flint and circumcise again. Now most of that's a flight of fancy, granted. But I put it up here to show the two opinions of what the sword can do. Because Hebrews says the sword is a double-edged sword. So it cuts in either direction. And with its double edge, it has a double purpose. It can either circumcise your heart if you're willing, or it can put an end to you and send you to Gehenna. 
if you, as Hebrews said, are in disobedience. The double-edged sword decides who enters Ghani Din and who does not, who eats of the tree of life and who does not. And you have to pass the sword. There's no other way to enter. The sword never stops flashing back and forth. It's always cutting. It's always moving. Who can pass by? Which direction will they go? There's no other way to life for man except through the sword, through this entrance. We're told that. The sword is alive and it judges the attitudes of the heart. It looks at your heart and makes a judgment on everything that you do or say. And what is the decision? What did Hebrews say? It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. In other words, a seemingly good deed may actually not be so good because the heart had an ulterior motive for doing the good deed. You see, God sees the motives, not just the deed. No matter how far you hide it in your heart, He sees it. And so after judging the heart, a decision is made, either for paradise or for Gehenna. It decides for rest or for torment, for life or for death. It flashes both ways, one way death, one way life. We actually get two First mentions in this past passage here, both of which we're going to look at in the next couple of weeks, the sword that guards, and we also get the first mention of Haderach, or the way, the way back to the tree of life. You might remember the early believers called themselves the way. Could it be that they felt that they had found the way back to Ghani Din, the tree of life? I think they did, I, and I just want to draw your attention to that for the moment, and we'll do more on this next week, but first let's look at where in the world could the writer of Hebrews get the idea that the Word of God was a sword? The Scriptures of God were a sword. Well, I put up the word for, he uses here for Scriptures, or law, it's speech, a word. Uttered by a living voice embodies a conception or idea of the moral precepts given by God. He's speaking of the words that were spoken by God. The scriptures, the word of God, the Torah of God, the prophets of God. However, from the context, he obviously means the instructions of God. The Torah, first and foremost. You know, one of the great plays on words in the, in the Torah is found here. If we look at the word for sword in the Hebrew, it's the, it's the Hebrew word chereb. It means a sword, a sharp in, implement. It's the Hebrew word chereb, and among other things, it means sword. It comes from the Hebrew word harab. Now, the writer compares this sword to the word of God. So where is it that the word of God was spoken? Where was the Torah spoken? Mount Sinai. But Deborim, or Deuteronomy, tells us something a little different. It says, in chapter 18, verse 15, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your brothers. You must listen to him, for this is what you asked of the Lord your God at Horeb. On the day of the assembly, you said, let us not hear the voice of the Lord our God, nor see this great fire anymore, or we will die. And so God spoke 
the Torah at Horeb. And the Hebrew word there is Horeb. Desolate. The name for the Sinai Mountains. So the mountains are Horeb. And if we put these two words together as they would appear in a Torah scroll, the vowel points weren't added, remember, until the Middle Ages. So we'll just look at these as they were in a Torah scroll. I put them on a slide here. Do you see the difference between the two words? I hope not because there is no difference. You don't see any difference until you add some vowel points. And as I said, they weren't added to the Middle Ages. So if you were to look at these two words, as they would have been written in a scroll in the first century, they would look very much the same, wouldn't they? I hope so, because they are the same. The place God chose to speak His words of Torah, the tree of life, as we call it each week, is the same word as the word for sword. Now you see where He gets it, right? The rabbi saw the same play on words and we find uh, in Deuteronomy Rabbi, it says this, the mountain of God called Mount Choreb and Mount Sinai. Why is it called Choreb? Because there on the Torah was called a sword. Choreb. Given as it says, let the high places of God be in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand. The place God spoke the words of Torah and the sword that guards the way to paradise in the book of the in the book of the scroll, are the same words, so to speak. Where else do we see this flaming sword? Revelations chapter 1, verse 12 says, And I turned and I saw seven gold lampstands, and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. His head and hair were white like wool, white as snow, and his eyes were blazing like fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all of its brilliance, and when I saw him, I fell at his feet, though dead. He falls at his feet, though dead. There's nothing hidden from God's sight. All your secrets are exposed. Everything exposed. And there's a flaming sword. And it will send you to Gehenna. Or it will circumcise your heart. And what comes out of the mouth of the Son of Man? The words of God. He's the prophet sent by God to speak the very words of God. And fortunately for John, he knew the one who could save him. As we read in the next verse, it says... Then he placed his right hand on me and he said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last, the living one. I was dead and behold, I am alive forever and ever. I hold the keys of death and Hades. He raised him up, though he was dead. The speech of God is the sword and the word of God is the sword. And what is it he just said? We looked at this last week. He said this. Verses 6 and 7 of chapter 4. It still remains that some will enter that rest. Those, and those who formerly had the gospel preached to them did not go in because of their disobedience. Therefore God again set a certain day calling to today when a long time later he spoke through David as it was said before. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. That sword will keep you from the tree of life the Torah, the instruction, or the Torah, the instruction of God will circumcise your heart so that you can obey. 
The sword that will circumcise your heart and allow you to pass through to Gani Din is the Torah of God. The only difference is if you'll hear his voice, the voice of the prophet like Moses, and live in obedience. That's the way back to the tree, the center of the, the garden, Gani Din. But understand, we're not just speaking of the final judgment here. The judgment of God. I read the book of Revelation where God decides your fate. We're speaking of everyday event. Every day. It says the sword. The word of God is living and active. The word of God, the scroll behind me in the ark is living and active. How can that be? It came from a dead animal. Well, it is. And it will cut your heart as you read it. If, and this is the big if, the Spirit of God touches your heart as you read. If you hear those words of God with your heart, it will cut you, it will change you. Without the Spirit, it's nonsense to most. But when the Word of God is accompanied by the Spirit of God, it's accompanied, it's applied, and it's applied to you, it will cut you, it will change you. Let's look at an example of this. There's a great example of this in Scripture since we already talked about David. We all know the story of David and Bathsheba, right? How David lusted after Bathsheba, who was Uriah's wife. So David sent Uriah the Hittite to his death so that he could have Uriah's wife. Well, David knew the Torah. He knew the words spoken from Choreb. He knew thou shalt not murder. He knew thou shalt not commit adultery. And yet he seemed untroubled by what he did until he was visited by a prophet named Nathan, Nathan, in the Spirit of God. Let's read what the prophet Nathan says to him in 2 Samuel chapter 2. He tells him a parable. God gives him a parable to tell David, he says, there were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. He raised it. It grew up with him and his children. He shared his food, drank from his cup, even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man, a refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. David burned with anger against this man. And he said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. He must pay for the lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. And so the Lord sends Nathan to David with this parable of a rich man and a poor man. And what was David's reaction when he was judging another man's actions? He deserves to die. Nathan continues now, but now it's not a parable any longer. Nathan said to David, you are the man. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, said. I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if all this had been too little, I would have given you more. 
Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now therefore the sword will never depart from your house because you have despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. You see, David had not really applied God's words to himself as he did others, but the Spirit of God speaking through Nathan exposes his sin for him. And what happens? In verse 13 it says, Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, The Lord has taken away your sin, and you're, you're not going to die. Because by doing this, you have made enemies of the Lord show utter contempt. The son born to you will die. And so David got a little too close to the sword of the Lord, and it cuts David. It circumcises his heart, causing him to repent for his sins, and they're forgiven. However, they're forgiven, but David's son has to pay the price. But also, how the Spirit of God can, we see how the Spirit of God can use the Torah to convict us of our sin. There's something else here, it's an in-your-face example of what we can do, what we do every day. And that's what David did. Judge others instead of taking the Torah and applying it to ourselves. And the attitude of our hearts. You see, if we don't judge ourselves, we'll be confronted with the death side of the sword. The cutting side of the sword rather than the circumcising side of the sword. David received the circumcising side. And as we read later, he says this in Psalm 19, verse 7. He says, the law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is pure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold. Yes, much more than fine gold, sweeter than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. You see, the Spirit of God uses the Word of God to warn us as our feet stray off the path. And when the Word is used by the Spirit of God, it's a tool of the Spirit to warn you, to correct you, to restore you, to make you wise. Sadly, though, when it's used by men all too often, it becomes a club used to condemn, just as David did the man who had took the land, taken the land. And by doing so, look what David did. He pronounced the sentence that he deserved. He pronounced the sentence on his own life, on the life of his son. We should be reminded that when we judge others, we should be reminded of the words of Yeshua. Remember in Mark, Yeshua said, with the measure you use, it will be measured to you and even more. And in Matthew chapter 7, it's recorded that he says, Do not judge, or you too will be judged, for in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. 
When the writer tells us that the word of God is living and active and it penetrates even dividing soul, spirit, joints and marrow and it judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart, he's speaking about my heart and your heart. You apply it to you, your thoughts, your attitudes. Where are they? Consider it. That's why Paul says in Romans chapter 14 verse 10 then, you then, why do you judge your brother? Or why do you look down on your brother? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is, it is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue confess to God. So then, each of us should give account of himself to God. We're each going to give an account to God. The writer of Hebrews reminds us, he says, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before his eyes. To him we must give an account. The word and the spirit work on you for change. To remove the foreskin of your heart before the blade swings the other way. And don't fool yourself. Yes, you're saved. But at the final judgment, that sword will remove all that is not of God. There's a penalty. And the reason I took this message this way was partly because of this season. You know, this week, someone sent me an email asking me to join in a discussion on, that was on Facebook. And the discussion was basically this. Do we speak to people of the origins of Christmas and Easter and thereby disparaging Christian festivals? I'll call that side one. They had been on some radical website. Or the other side, do we take a more compassionate approach, a more understanding approach, that they keep the festivals with pure hearts, they don't know these things, and I'll call that side two, side one and side two. And I couldn't join into the discussion, because the person who asked me to join in was on the side that I disagreed with. <laughs> so I thought, well, there's no win here. I'm not going to win in this one. So I just remained out. But you know, the, that person was a former member of this community. And it made me so sad that she went away with this idea. And so my silence, uh, and so my silence is not my intent today. I want to speak on this in the light of Hebrews 12 and 13, chapter 4. Or chapter 4, 12 and 13. And I want you to remember something as we go through this. After keeping our lives pure, our greatest call in life is to teach others by example. And let me say, what kind of an example will you be? Will you be a side one example, a side two example, a good example, a bad example? An example like Joshua and Caleb or a bad example like the other ten spies? What will you be? And I want to I do this by a little story, example, if you will. And I want you to be the Spirit of God. You judge the thoughts and the attitudes of the hearts of these examples. We have a young man and his wife, devoted Christians. They love Yeshua, they love God, they serve in their church wherever they can, whatever they can do. They know nothing about Christmas except that it celebrates the birth of their Redeemer. 
Their Christmas celebration is filled with Messiah, with family, with giving, with sharing, with songs of Yeshua, with love of their fellow man, with fond memories of all the family gatherings and all the family members that they had spent it with, both living and passed on. All of these folks know and experience the same love of Messiah Yeshua. And I put it this way because i got to be honest with you, I believe this is, the vast, this is where the vast majority of true believing Christians in the world today are at. Now this couple meet one day a Hebrew roots believer whom they have heard loves Yeshua, but he doesn't keep Christmas. And they ask him, why don't you celebrate the birth of Messiah Yeshua, Jesus? And so this Hebrew roots believer starts to unload. Do you know that Christmas originates in paganism? And he throws out every dirty detail he's ever heard, no matter what the source or the accuracy of the report, spewing out the origins of the tree that they sat around with their family, giving and receiving, singing songs of the master until one of two things happened. There's an argument or the couple is left feeling just terrible demoralized like a puddle on the floor like someone who just fell off had the ladder pulled out from underneath them now let's say they meet someone from side two and this messianic believer says to him and they say to this messianic believer "Why, why don't you celebrate the birth of Messiah and this messianic Believer says, I do rejoice in Messiah's coming into this age. However, you know, I was studying the festivals of the Lord, you know, because Paul wrote in Colossians that they were shadows of things to come that teach of the Messiah, Yeshua. You know, well, as I studied the Feast of Tabernacle and the accounts of the Messiah's birth, comparing the two, well, what I found and what others have found is that this was the time of Messiah's birth. He came during the Feast of Tabernacles to tabernacle among us. God gave us this great celebration to honor the birth of the Messiah, Yeshua. You know, it's the same uh, with the festival of Passover, He's called the Passover lamb because it was at Passover that he died. The same time that they were offering the Passover lambs. He died, our Passover lamb, the lamb of God, so that the death angel might pass over us. These are the things that I'm learning from the word of God. Aren't they amazing? Now you judge. Who's going to do the most good? Who's the one who would be the best example of the Messiah, Yeshua? Well, what did David say about the law of God? The law of God is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. You see, it doesn't take much wisdom, does it? If you consider that God judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart, of the three, whose hearts do you think were most pure? Well, if I were going to judge, I would say first side two, with the Christian very close behind, because God knows his heart. And the last one would be far down the line, side one. You see, side one didn't even speak the truth. He spoke the lie to him. 
And the lie does not restore the soul. It does not make wise or enlighten the eyes. Side two spoke the truth right out of God's word. That's the only truth. You want to speak truth? Speak that truth. Let's be a people filled with truth, filled with the word of God and not the lies of the world. The spirit and the word are able to restore the soul, but the spirit is not able to do a thing with the lie. That's the adversary's territory. Spend your life in prayer and study of God's Torah and the prophets, the words of Yeshua, and leave these radical websites behind. Instead of websites spewing out and filling yourself, fill, spewing out lies, fill yourself with the true Psalm 119 that says this, Let me understand the teaching of your precepts, then I will meditate on your wonders. My soul is weary with sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. Keep me from deceitful ways. Be gracious to me through your law. I have chosen the way of truth. I have set my heart on your laws. I hold fast to your statutes. Oh, Lord, don't let me be put to shame. I run the path of your commands, for I have set my heart, for you have set my heart free. I want you to think about something. Why do you want to study and fill yourself up? What what does Scripture say? Out of the abundance of your heart, the mouth speaketh. Why do you want to fill your heart up with lies and garbage when you can be filling your heart up with the precepts and the wonders? Choose the way of truth. Fill yourself with truth and not lies. And when you're asked, you'll have a loving, compassionate answer for the goodness and the truth of the Messiah that lies within you. That, my friends, will win others to the truth. And they'll forsake the lies on their own when they hear the truth. It will also win for you the words, well done, good and faithful servant, and keep you on the right side of that sword. Just one more thing, in case you're new here, and you doubt what I have said. Ask anyone who's been in this movement for a long time, who went home and beat up their friends and family with a lie, I guarantee you to a person, they'll tell you they wish they could start from beginning with just the truth. Ask them how many of those friends and family they still have left, and even if they are left, how many of that friends and family will listen to a word they have to say. Fill yourself with the truth, friends, and not the lie. Let's bring the worship team up. Children can come forward.